Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Peristyle Podcast, episode 253, to be exact, the second one of the new year. Today is January 7th, 2013. We've got a great show for you on the podcast, talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber a little bit later on. We have Coach Harvey Hyde in the very first segment. We love to talk to him. We haven't had him on in a couple of weeks. Uh, if you have any questions or comments for us on the podcast, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. You can call 206-888-6755, leave a brief voicemail there, or go to peristylepodcast.com. That is our webpage for the Peristyle Podcast. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail for us there. And like I said, we have Coach Harvey Hyde coming at us from Miami. He's down there for the national championship game. I think he's overlooking the Atlantic Ocean right now. What's up, Coach? How are you doing? Ryan, I'm telling you, I'm sitting on my patio here. I'm looking at the Atlantic Ocean down here in the Key Biscayne, and it is absolutely gorgeous. It's going to be 81 today. 81, the sun's out. I'm getting a little rays here while I'm doing the show with you. I want to apologize to our listeners that the last couple of weeks I haven't been on because I've been traveling around and busy and doing things with the Tournament of Roses for the Rose Bowl game, but... We're back, and you've been busy, too, down at the Army game and down in Tennessee. We've been traveling. So we're back into our normal, uh, let's say, schedule somewhat, and I'm looking forward to a great football game tonight. Yeah, certainly. We want to talk about that with you, too, and uh, I you know, did, do want to apologize. We did a show last week with Gerard Martinez, but I know it sounded we were like in a in a bathroom or something. We I didn't have all my audio equipment there, so we just recorded it directly on the laptop. But we're back now. I can... Use the home studio. We can do our normal podcast. So we'll be back in uh, 2013 as strong as ever. I wanted to thank our sponsors before we get going. Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com if you need tickets for anything. Probably even if a, a last-minute ticket to the national championship game tonight. If you want to go, you can see Harvey Hyde down there. 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything, like I said. Lots of stuff going on with the, the NBA. The NHL is back, so lots of sporting events in Southern California and across the country if you want to check those things out. and Coach, you excited for uh, tonight's game down there in uh, in Miami? I am really excited about it. There's uh, When we flew out of LAX, the plane was loaded with Notre Dame fans. In fact, in our flight, it's amazing. I'm with a gentleman, and he likes to get up. He can't sit still on the plane, so he started walking around the plane. And he stopped this lady, and he says, uh, he says, hi, boy, that's a nice shirt you have on. And she says, yes. And he says, well, how did you get your tickets to the game? Because everyone's asking where you got your tickets. Everyone wants to know how much you paid for your tickets. Because it varies, you know, if this has been a hot ticket. And she says, oh, I didn't have to pay for my ticket. Brian Kelly's my son. So <laughs> it's absolutely amazing how how you can run into and start a conversation with someone that's unbelievable and where she lives and who she is and how he got started into coaching and how many brothers and sisters he has and, and all of that. So it was, uh, so it was very interesting talking to her and also walking around and talking to people who were traveling 
cross country for this game. And after arriving here in Miami, of course, uh, Roll Tide, Roll, they're all here too. And a very respectable crowd. Everyone here respects everybody and excited. they're all excited about the game. And, of course, there's a three-hour difference. So the game starts here at 8.30 p.m. So it'll be an all-nighter for us by the time we get out of the stadium and get back to the hotel because we're way out at key. And the uh, stadium is about, I would say, an hour from here with traffic, maybe even an hour and a half. So uh, we'll, um, you know, check it out, have a good time, enjoy it, don't get stressed out, leave early, tailgate a little bit, and uh, just have a great time. Well, Coach, there's uh, another bowl game, not as the same, uh, I guess, the same level of pre- prestige as the one you're at or going to go to tonight. But USC played in the Sun Bowl on uh, December 31st, and we didn't get to talk to you directly after that game. Obviously, it was a debacle, 21-7, to losing to a 6-7 and Georgia Tech team. But wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, on how that all went down. I know a lot of USC fans weren't real happy about it. Well, you know, it's a difficult situation to, to talk about. It's one of those events that happen in your life that you really want to forget. And I, and I really hate to be that way and be negative, but there are good kids out there playing and parents of kids that listen to the podcast. But it was an experience that you really don't want to remember. It's your final game in, in your college career. It was something I thought that, and I said it on the pregame show, so it isn't something I'm just making up now. I said on the pregame show I expected USC to win this football game, dominate the football game, uh, not win by a, a close margin. I didn't think that would help. I thought they had to win by a big margin to get a good feeling for the off season. roll that into recruiting, be positive, hire a new defensive coordinator, utilize that role, continue going, and it was the exact opposite. I mean, during the 17-day period of, of working out and preparing for a bowl game, uh, they actually played worse. It's almost like they didn't practice. Uh, Mac, uh, Max Wittick, uh, not a great game, but not entirely his fault. Uh, defensively, uh, somewhat dominating because they were on the field all the time as far as the offense of. And don't get me wrong, they played well, but they're on the field too long. And FC just not generating any offense whatsoever. And then from that frustration, from that, uh, you know, all the off-field incidents, uh, comments uh, that are being made, uh, I don't know what type of morale, the whole package uh, just wasn't something that lived up to the tradition of USC football. I think we've got a lot of people that are upset, a lot of people, a lot of turmoil uh, from losing comes that, uh, winning solves everything. In this case, they lose five of the last six games. Certainly it's in a positive way to go into your offseason and national letter of intent signing day. Yeah, certainly. Um, well, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't exactly what people what, what people expect. But I agree with you, Coach. I thought that after seeing the, the first couple of practices, and, and you obviously know a lot more about football than me, but it did, and I talked to Dan Weber about it, it did seem like they were doing something differently. It seemed like they were being more physical. It was more fun. It looked like Lane Kiffin wasn't, uh, just looking at his play sheet, he was with defensive backs. He was all over the practice field, at least at their practices in Los Angeles. And it seemed like 
there was a, a lighter attitude and, and they were playing fast and, and having fun. And it, it didn't seem like they were going to tighten up. They would play loose. And that's really the way I thought this game was going to go. And then once you get, you know, once they got to El Paso, I guess things changed a little bit. And obviously you saw the results on the field. It, it, I mean, it looked like Max Wittick played a lot better with one week of preparation as opposed to four weeks. It, it's almost like he was overcoached or something. It just, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me, and I know a lot of USC fans the same way. Well, I, I agree with you, and it was uh, that's why it makes it a difficult loss because early in the practice uh, sessions getting ready, all I heard about was how positive things were. Spirit is great out of practice. And I made a comment, too, on our podcast. I said, hey, you know, it's not what happens today. It's all in preparation, but it's what happens on game day. Game day is when you might want to be ready to play. And, you know, you don't want to leave your game on the practice field. And you, when you prepare for a game, you, you, you prepare for a game the same way you plan on coaching that game. So if you're going to be a head coach, you're going to watch the defense, you're going to do this, you're going to let somebody else call the plays during practice and so on, you start to build a, 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 a what do you want to call a rhythm that you're going to follow and, and do on game day. And it seemed to come apart on that it wasn't what it was expected to be it seems like it was a last minute decision that coach kiffin was going to call the plate not that i know if it was or it wasn't but it appeared that way uh it was surprising to me uh the offensive game plan and the way they planned on attacking as soon as you saw what their game plan was then immediately you know you've got to run the football they're rushing three and dropping eight you've got to establish the run, and you don't care what you have to do to establish the run. You've got to get people to step up and tackle uh, the ball carry, and then you got your play-action pass. And if you are going to drop back pass and throw the football, you obviously aren't going to throw into the coverages. You have to have curl routes, slide to the open area. You've got to learn to not throw through people, but find the open zones and hit your receivers. And I never saw any of that. And, you know, you've got to be able to hold linebackers from dropping out of their, their zones by running draws, drop, draws as far as part of your play-action pass, a few screens in there to be able to not allow your defensive secondary just to drop back there and be ball hawks. You can't throw through people. And when you get to the goal line, as they did that one time by driving the football down there, they threw the ball three straight plays. And I know darn well in the backfield, the backs are saying, what's going on? Let us run the football in and let's get a score. So uh, when all this goes on, it builds up. It builds up, it builds up, it builds up. People lose confidence. Uh, boosters, fans, parents get upset. I've talked to people that said they just got up, turned the TV off, and went for a walk. Uh, I mean, there's all of this type of comments that are now going on and a lot of rumbling. And I think there's got to be a surface now with Pat Hayden, and there's got to be some comments and statements made. I, I didn't go to the USC basketball game, but I understand there wasn't one administrator at the USC basketball game against Stanford because they're sort of avoiding the media. I assume, unless they had a league meeting somewhere and they had to do something. I know I'm down here at the hotel where most of the commissioners are and, and athletic directors throughout the country, and I haven't seen Pat Hayden here, so obviously he's involved in something that's going on at FC, either interviewing defensive coordinators, but I don't see the reason why there hasn't been a statement made after that game by the administration on whether we're in complete support of what's going on. We haven't changed our stance of where we are. 
and the naming of a defensive coordinator. I don't see the advantage of waiting to name what you're going to do on defense because you're going to lose recruits. Recruits want to know who they're going to play for. And right now they keep losing that or putting it off. I don't know what the deal is unless it's an NFL coach who's currently now in the NFL and he can't talk to him or they can't announce it until the playoffs are over. Otherwise, I have no idea what's going on there regarding some statement from the athletic department or some statement regarding the defensive coordinatorship or coaching changes or even Coach Kiffin's situation. Uh, well, speaking of the defensive coordinator position, we do have a question on that, so I'll play. It's a voicemail question. I'll play that one for you now, Coach. Hi, guys. Thank you for uh, taking my question. Thank you, Ryan and Coach Harvey Hyde, for doing all the hard work you guys do. I wanted to ask you guys a question about the defensive coordinator. Uh, obviously, he will need to learn how to stop the spread. Who do you think is on the short list of candidates in taking over that job since the recruits have been uh, kind of freaking out, not knowing who's going to be their coach? So I would like to know if you guys have sort of inside knowledge since you guys are really, really close to the program on who will be the next defensive coordinator. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for your question, and I'm going to be honest on this like I am on everything, is uh, there's a lot of uh, names that have been thrown out there. It, it keeps growing from five or six to seven and eight now. But you got to be realistic. This is why I think a statement should come out on Pat Hayden's situation, because if you're a great defensive coordinator somewhere and you've got yourself a great coaching position, like the coach at Oregon, and now with Brian Kelly's situation looking like he's going to return, I guess Phil Knight decided he didn't want him to leave. Bobby's going to pay him as much as he would have been making at Cleveland or somewhere else. Now, I'm not saying I know anything. I don't. I'm just saying from what I saw in today's papers that if you're going to go and, and try to get one of these coordinators, unless he's unemployed, hey, what coordinator is going to come thinking possibly I've only got a one-year contract? Because if USC is not successful next year. Uh, uh, they're going to be probably wiping out the entire coaching staff or whatever, okay? I know there's a couple of coaches who got extensions on their coaching career at USC. I don't know if they got extensions, but they got pay raises for a certain reason this year. And I don't want to get into that because I think that's privileged information. But who are you going to get, first of all? Who are you going to get unless you make a statement, like I said a moment ago, that this is what's going on? And so your short list all of a sudden becomes not a short list. All of a sudden, you know, you take Dwayne Walker and everybody says Dwayne Walker wants to come or would come to USC. I read all these things on uscfootball.com and newspapers and so on. But, you know, Dwayne Walker's got four years remaining on his contract as a head football coach in New Mexico State making a nice salary down there. Is he willing to leave New Mexico State to come to USC without a three- or four-year contract at a nice figure? Is he willing to? I wouldn't be right now in the situation without statements being made, so I would want a three-year contract at seven or 800000 a year. They were paying Monty Kiffin a million, two, million five. I don't know what they were paying him, but that's what the rumors are. So to get a quality guy away from another program, if he's secure and he's good, you're going to have to deal with this. Realistically, you're going to have to deal with this. So if you hire someone uh, that doesn't have a job, then you're more apt to get someone like that because he doesn't have a choice of where he's going to go. And, of course, USC is not a place to learn how to coach. USC, you paid your dues to coach at USC. 
I'd have given my right arm to coach at USC as an assistant coach under the coaches at that time that were coaching at USC. I almost had a shot once. I remember I was up at the offensive line coaching position and Rod Humanek was at Fullerton Junior College. I was at Pasadena City College and Rod got the job. But that happens because it's a dream come true when you get at that level. It's, 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 a, it's, it's something that's unique. There's about five or six schools in the country that can be in that category. Notre Dame, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, USC. And I'd miss one or two somewhere, depending where you live and what you grew up around and where you want to coach. So right now, when you look at USC, you look at Stanford. Look at Stanford now and what they're getting, the recruiting class again. Three kids saying they're coming back to go to the NFL. They're happy. They're, they're committed. Oregon maybe not losing their coach, which will increase their recruiting immediately. There's a lot of people have been wondering how recruiting's going there. Well, a lot of people want to know if Brian Kelly was coming back. You look around the uh, Pac-12 and there's improvements in every program. You've got UCLA across town. You've got Arizona, Arizona State. You've got Cal change. You've got programs, Mike Leach up at Washington State, where probably LaRue is going to go, the receiver that, that uh, decommitted to USC. Mathington's over at UCLA. So it's not just an easy thing anymore, and you lose the intimidation that you had. If you go to the Coliseum and, and you see the crowd and you know and you hear the band that somebody's getting ready to kick your butt. And, you know, by the third quarter, uh, you're getting ready for them to – Surrender in the fourth quarter. They just want to get the game over. You're losing that. So there's a lot here involved on who they hire, how they hire, and the names aren't really, to me, the answer. The names are what's going to happen so you can go out and attract someone. Is the guy coming in going to want to be the head football coach or something safe? Or what kind of contract are you going to give him? But these coaches today don't do their own negotiating. They have agents now today that do their negotiating. And these agents know the business world in coaching. It no longer is this, oh, I want to, play, I want to coach for free. No, that's over with now. It's, they know what their value is. So there's so much involved in the naming of the defensive coordinator, but I don't see the advantage of not getting this done. I just don't understand, or are they going to make a change, or whatever they're going to do. I think somebody has to step up and have a press conference and set it up the record with what's going on. I agree with you, Coach. We've been wondering to see what's going to happen with that. We've, we've been keeping a defensive coordinator hot board on the front page of uscfootball.com. Honestly thought there would be an announcement by now. Uh, the hot name, uh, last, at least last week, was uh, Pat Narduzzi uh, at Michigan State. Um, there was a, a couple articles that came out. We were reporting that, that there was interest from USC. They were looking at him, but... Um, Apparently, they have not talked to him yet, and there, there were some people on our message board saying it was already a done deal, but from the from his camp, it, it doesn't seem like Lane Kiffin has talked to him yet. So there's some other names out there floating around, but so far, they haven't pulled the trigger on anyone. And it didn't seem to matter as far as recruiting goes with uh, Leon McQuay III, the, the five-star safety out of Florida, you know, deciding to sign with USC. So it seemed to be okay there, but there are some certain there are certain commits on the you know on the current class that are already committed that would like to know who that defensive coordinator is going to be. So it certainly can be an issue. Uh, we'll have to see where we go from there. But you can check out our hot list, and we'll keep updates uh, as things go. Um, Coach, we had a question from Justin. 
about the Sun Bowl. He's like, do you think the Sun Bowl debacle will open the door for, and there's another recruiting question, I guess, Max Brown, who's the uh, five-star quarterback out of the state of Washington uh, for next year. Would Lane even be likely to start a true freshman like Pete Carroll did with Matt Barkley? What do you think? Well, I don't know. You know, it's it's such a different level when you go from the high school level to college level and from the college level to the NFL. That's why everybody's saying, wow, look at RG3, look at Russell Wilson, look what Andrew Luck's done. People are astonished. But players today are so more, more advanced than what they were before. These kids have no fear. These kids want to compete. These kids are so far advanced in their skills and their techniques and their understandings of defenses that a freshman today can start. Look at these rookies now that are playing in the NFL. So I, I think there'll be a great quarterback battle at USC, uh, obviously. But I think there's got to be some changes done, too, in the offensive schemes and what's going on because I don't care who is the head coach or who is the quarterback at USC. If you don't get some things going, you can't run 100 offenses in one play from each offense. You've got to decide what you're going to do. If you're going to be a pro offense, run pro offense. Get a running game that fits the pro offense like Stanford does. Be tough, too, on offense. Be tough on defense. Be physical. I mean, you got to smash somebody in the mouth. you got to get off the line of scrimmage. you got to get a bloody nose once in a while. You're not going to bleed to death. And, uh, and you've got to become more physical and stronger. I think SC's football team is a weak football. I don't see the physical body. I don't see guns on arms. If you don't, I'm talking about guns. I don't know if you guys understand that as far as, as a, you do as an, as a, as an ex-player. But you got to be physical. you got to do one-on-one. And you can't just always zone block. You can't zone block on the goal line. you got to get down and you got to root somebody out. And you got to do and have goal line packages. And, and you got to believe in a series. You don't need a lot of series. But you got to hit all the different holes along the line of scrimmage. You've got to hit the eight hole, the six hole, the four hole, the two hole, the zero hole. Then the odd side, you know, one, three, five, seven, and nine, where defenses just don't tell. They only run the ball off tackle. They never run outside. So why worry about it? If they run it one, uh, two times a game, we'll worry about that and adjust to it later. So I think that, you know, yes, quarterback competition, you got the best quarterbacks around. It's what you do with them and how you develop it in the confidence and understanding what you're what your role is with him and your tight ends get involved in the game and your receivers get involved in the game and you get on a draw on a screen and you're able to, whatever the defense is, you have something to attack. And when you get into a short yarded situation or a goal line situation, you don't feel you have to throw the football three straight downs. You can run the football in and show the toughness of your football team. And defensively, we can get into that, too. But I really believe this is what the competition has to be, not just with the quarterback, but the overall philosophy of the offense. All right, Coach. It's uh, It was kind of a rough, I guess, a rough uh, weekend or a rough holiday period for a lot of USC fans. Um, what Going forward, I know that USC can get some momentum from the recruiting class and stuff, but... What do you think these uh, the USC fans out there have to look forward to? I know there's been a lot of questions. We we talked about defensive coordinator losing the bowl game, finishing seven and six, and talented team losing some talented guys like Matt Barkley going to the NFL draft and things like that. 
What should USC fans out there look forward to? Well, I tell you, you try to be positive. You got to be positive, and your football team has to be positive. And I think really the first thing you do is you see what changes are going to be made at USC. Like I'm talking about the hiring of coaches and so on. And I said this before about a month ago after the UCLA game. I said, as a head football coach, I've got to reevaluate my entire practice, my entire team, my entire coaching staff, and myself included. I want to look in the mirror and I want to find out who I am and why didn't we achieve our goals. Somewhere we have something wrong here. It's the players. Maybe we've overrated our players. Maybe we're overrated as coaches. Maybe it's a combination of both. Could be all of them. But whatever it is, I've got to go down and figure out why and what's going wrong here at USC as a head football coach. I don't know what they pay Coach Giffen. Three, four million dollars a year. I've heard. I haven't seen the contract. But you're paid to perform and bring a product. A product. If you're a it's, if you're a major corporation and you're the CEO of that and your stock's not doing very well, the first thing to do is look at that person and they and they see they're going to make a change. If they're not a change there, and I'm not advocating a change, then they go above that and the next thing they look at, who's the chairman of the board here? What's going on with the chairman of the board? I mean, the first thing you look at, too, is the morning practices bad. Uh, I'm like, why aren't my kids stronger? Why aren't we tackling well? What about the game plan? Are kids happy? Do I spend enough time with my players as far as hugging them and putting myself? Do my players come into my office and talk to them? Or am I shielded from my players? I want my players playing for me. I mean, I could go on two hours of talking to you about bench discipline as far as halftime procedures, as far as off-season conditioning, as far as all of those things that go around a championship program. I love to go to games. I went and watched Barry Alvarez coach in the Rose Bowl game. And what did I watch? I watched the bench discipline. I watched him as a head football coach. I watched the coordinators working. I, I, that's the things that are behind the scenes that make so much difference, the discipline. Did I see boosters running up and down the sideline talking to people? Did I see people on the sideline that really distracted the football players? Did I see the football players looking into the stands? Did I see the football players celebrating because they made a tackle? I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. I want to see players go out there and do what they're supposed to do, and I don't want to see a back look at me after he made a 30-yard run and say, I'm tired, take me out. I want to see a guy that comes out of the game mad because he came out of the game. You've got to start to look at every phase of your program and say, what are we doing here that here we are, USC, and we are seven and six. And if it happens again, I won't be here. And I understand that if I get a call at four o'clock on a Friday, I'm going to start cleaning my desk out at noon. That way I got a head start. <laughs> okay, coach. Well, great stuff. We really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing all your thoughts and insight from Miami. I'm sure you're going to be down at the pool having a pina colada or something, enjoying the, the rest of your day. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, what are you, what I'll are you... tell you, Ryan, this is a tough show to do when you talk about my opinion because I want all of our listeners to know this is just my opinion. It's not something that everyone will agree with that's listening. But when you ask me a question, what I'm always trying to do is be objective and answer what 
people, what is going through people's minds and what's going through my mind at this time. So I want everybody to understand that. And if I've hurt anybody's feelings, I apologize. But uh, I'm just trying to put it and be straight up front. No, and I think it was beneficial, too, to talk about this like a, a week after the game. Uh, there was, you know, obviously a lot of venom from USC fans, and it wasn't real happy to uh, – people weren't real happy about it. They're still not happy about it now, but, you know, maybe with uh, recruiting, get some momentum going into the off season, and it'll be a lot of fun in the spring seeing the quarterback competition between Wittick, Kessler, and Max Brown. So uh, there's a lot to look forward to. I guess we've got to, you know, just kind of be patient, see what happens on signing day. USC could still get the number one class. And obviously, it doesn't mean that much if you can't develop the talent on the field. We'll see if uh, Lane Kiffin and staff can kind of turn that around and get that going this spring. Well, I hope that next week, when we do this segment, that we're able to talk about the defensive coordinator. I hope we're able to talk about maybe possible some of the changes. That there has been a statement made by the athletic department on what direction they're headed. Because I think the fans of USC football need to know that. I think they're deserving of that. They keep things as quiet as what it's been and no sighting of anyone and all this and that. I don't think that's the way people want it. I think they want to know the facts and then they can deal with it. I agree with you, Coach. And thanks again for uh, coming on the show. We really appreciate your insight and enjoy the national championship game down there between Alabama and Notre Dame and everyone else. We will be back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer, Dan Weber, he was down there in San Antonio. We'll get some thoughts on what he saw at the Sun Bowl and answer more of your questions. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We got Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer. Want to get pick his brain, see what he thought about how USC played down the stretch there and uh, finished things off in El Paso, Texas at the Sun Bowl. What's up, Dan? How you doing? I know you were down there. Oh, the- pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's probably a good thing we waited <laughs> a, a week to uh, uh, actually talk about this. Uh, man, that was... Uh, that was about as difficult a, a game to get through as uh, as I can remember. I mean, there have been, you know, some routes, uh, a couple of them anyway, that didn't feel as bad as that game did. Yeah, I mean, we I mean, we were at practice all week, and people were asking me questions. I was like, yeah, it looked like it was different. It looked like there was more energy. It looked like they were having fun. It looked like Lane Kiffin wasn't just focusing on calling the next play. He was hanging out with the defensive backs. He was you know, all over the field. Uh, I don't know if that changed at all during the week of practice down there in San Antonio. I'm sorry, San Antonio, in El Paso. I was in San Antonio, in El Paso. Uh, but were you, I mean, obviously I think you were fairly surprised at, at what happened on the field. Like maybe you can describe what you thought went down there. Yeah. Uh, 
it, it, the thing about the uh, bowl practices in San Antonio, or in June, I'm going to do the same thing, the, uh, the bowl practices in El Paso were uh, we only got to be in there for about 20 minutes. So we really didn't get to see the you – know, we had seen the two weeks previous and with the uh, you know shared responsibility of the uh, offensive coaches especially, it was noticeable with Clay Helton calling the plays and, and – uh, Kennedy, Palomalu in the huddle, and T. Martin right there with the wide receivers and all that. And it was a whole different, uh, you know, tempo and pace. And you saw them, you know, it, it looked more like a, a peak practice. And um, they looked like they were getting more more reps in. And uh, there was much more, you know, the running to the line of scrimmage and, and hustling and getting things going and moving and, and all that. Uh, Apparently, the last week, uh, the days in El Paso that we didn't see, uh, they reverted to, uh, you know, Lane, uh, you know, calling the plays and kind of running the running the practices. What we did see, even you know, then we saw really good practices, and you know, I kept asking Lane uh, his impression. He kept saying, "This is the best practices of the year. This is the best the team has looked all year." It, you know, they were physical, they were hustling, they were moving, and all of that kind of a thing. And uh, and here they go, you know, hit the game last Monday and it reverted to uh, as uh, lethargic-looking, as uh, stand-around-looking, as uh, uh, not upbeat at all, uh, as just kind of, you know, moseying up to the line of scrimmage, uh, kind of getting in their stances. And this is mostly... More on offense than defense. Uh, you know, the defense probably had, uh, you know, a halfway um, energetic effort out there. And, uh, you know, they were okay. I mean, they probably certainly gave up more yards than they should have. I know Georgia Tech, you know, has been able to gain yards on people and that. But uh, uh, when you look at the disparity in, in, in talent, um, that shouldn't have happened. Now they were obviously thrown off by the wind. We hadn't seen any. We'd seen a lot of, you know, really cold weather, uh, and just it seemed colder than it actually was. But we hadn't seen any wind like that. So it looked like when they went three and out the first two series, it just looked like they de- they deflated. I mean that there was a sense of, uh oh, here we go again. We don't have any answers. This isn't going to go well. And uh, and they just that's how it exactly went. I mean, it just uh, it was amazing when you looked at them in a game. Okay, it's the bowl game. It's the last game of the year for some of these guys. It's their last game in their career, and they're not going nearly as hard or with nearly as much enthusiasm as they did at every single practice in the month of December before the game. That's puzzling, to say the least. And uh, you know, when you ask Lane about it. His, his his absolute answer was, and I asked the question after the game, he said, I said, where's the disconnect? Why do you practice like that and then you play like this? And his answer was, I have no idea. Well, that's where we are. Yeah, no, that's really not what you want to hear from the head coach, I guess. You have no idea. I mean, people were asking me, and we were down there in San Antonio, and the recruits were actually at practice most of them were practicing and then they got back from maybe mid third quarter and they got to catch highlights on well highlights but whatever, yeah. recap on sports center and 
maybe watch the fourth quarter of the game or so. But yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to hear their take because it was mostly about opportunity for them. It's it's their team. That's the team they're committed to, and they want to go there. And some of them have already signed, but also they know that it's it's not like a fan where next year you say get them next year. They can actually do something about next year because they'll be on campus and they can try to help out. So I think that their attitude is a little bit different than kind of the average USC fan watching the game. Well, I think that's the, you know you've got to credit uh, Lane for the the genius of uh, getting them all committed early and creating this nucleus of a team uh, going forward and having kids that are you know that talented that they feel like yeah, I can come in here and compete and contribute. I can do this right now, and they need me. So, in a, in a way where some people would, you know, assume, oh, this could work, you know, this game, gee, this is going to hurt USC. In a way, you know, for, for a year like this year, it might not. It might work the other way, where kids say, basically, they need me, and I can go in there and I can help turn this thing around, and we're all in this together and that kind of thing. So I think, you know, had they not had those guys committed uh, for however many months, you know, most of them have been committed, it would be a lot harder, I think, at this point. But uh, so, you know, as much as we may, uh, you know, bang on the coaches for the, the preparation that didn't seem to be able to continue into game day, uh, the preparation in terms of recruiting and in terms of the getting the early commitments this year and uh, kind of creating this nucleus of, of a recruiting class that, you know, is going to challenge for the best in the nation, I think was, you can't do it any smarter than Lane has done uh, for recruiting. Now, obviously no one has ever second-guessed, you know, ever, ever second-guessed his ability to, to figure out the recruiting and put together you know, the kind of class you need. And, and it was a good response to what happened at the end last year with the, uh, you know, Pete and, uh, uh, you know, the kids going to uh, Murphy going to, uh, going to Stanford. Uh, and I thought that was a great response the way, you know, this has been organized. So when it comes to recruiting, it's hard to second guess. Uh, and it seems like that will work for this year in response to what happened, you know, to the team this year at the end of the season. Not sure you can pull that off two years in a row, but, uh, but it may, uh, it may be just the right answer this year. Uh, well, let's get to some questions, Dan. Uh, Tarion wants to know, do you believe that coach Kiffin has quote unquote lost the team? If so, can a coach, uh, ever get a team back? Well, um, you know, the, the the model you might look at is, uh, look at Notre Dame. I, I'm not sure Coach Kelly had Notre Dame, you know, last year. Uh, he, you know, they didn't look like they had a lot of answers. Uh, they made an awful lot of mistakes. They, there was an awful lot of yelling on the sidelines. Uh, you know, it looked like, you know, here USC came in and, you know, with a young USC team and just kind of, you know, took that game over and, and, you know, there was the comment that, you know, uh, in South Bend uh, by Matt Barkley that it kind of looked like Notre Dame sort of quit at the end of the game and just kind of let USC do whatever they wanted. And where's Notre Dame today, you know? Uh, 
So obviously, I think you know Brian Kelly changed a lot of things he was doing. I think he's not the same guy on the sideline yelling. He's not coaching him up the same way. Uh, I think he was kind of in betwixt and between as far as what kind of a team did he want, uh, and uh, was trying to figure out you know could he do some of the things he did at Cincinnati on offense, and uh, then he realized no, I've got a Notre Dame team. I've got to coach them up the way Notre Dame, you know, the way the athletes that I'm going to get at Notre Dame, I've got to coach them up that way. I've got to go to my strengths. I got to play defense. I got to you know, be really disciplined and determined, not make those mistakes, uh, believe in what we're doing. And, you know, he survived every close game this year, and, and they are where they are. And uh, so I'm not sure USC is a whole lot in a different place than, say, where Notre Dame maybe was a year ago. Uh, so uh, have they lost? You know, and I don't that, – that's probably one of those statements that's just so broad, you know, whether the coach has lost the team or whatever. I do think he's got to figure out a way. I mean, I really believe that when you saw the game in El Paso that those kids thought once they fell behind early, like they've been doing recently, that there was no coming back. There was no come from behind. That, that there is a lack of confidence that, you know, this is a team that under Lane in the second half has never come from behind to win a game. Uh, and those kids know that. And they know that, uh, like at Stanford or other, you know, other games where they clearly don't have the answer, where the game plan clearly doesn't suit, like the Oregon game as well, where the game plan is clearly not uh, going to get them a win, uh, that they have to be convinced that you've got the answers. And it looked like in, in El Paso they really believed that uh, that was kind of a vote of no confidence in in the coaching that day uh that you know with the win and with uh, uh Georgia Tech very well prepared very uh you know on top of everything USC was doing uh that USC wasn't going to have an answer and it was sort of a reality you know check with the kids where they just said you know we don't win games like this now, that's really not a good thing and it's got to, you know, something's got to change. But um, to say that they couldn't get them back, I don't think that's the case. But do they have a real, you know, challenge ahead? Yeah, a real, real challenge. I mean, I think he's got to get everybody back. I think he's got to get his own assistant coaches back. I think he's got to get his, uh, you know, I got to get the fan base. I think they've got to, you know, get back. I mean, people, I think uh, there's kind of a general sense of, um, whatever the answer is, USC doesn't have it right now. Uh, and uh, on offense, on defense, I mean, the argument, one of the biggest arguments on the P is who's more responsible for the terrible season, the offense or the defense? You know, well, that's... <laughs> Depending on <laughs> which game, yeah. And then they'll throw in, well, and the special teams weren't very good either. Oh, that's uh, the end of the that's season. Kind of the, awful. That's kind of where we are now. Yeah. I mean, it's awful at the end of the season. You can't justify having a full-time special teams coordinator when they the whole special teams played just terrible as the season wore on. Right, and, you know, just even things like judgment. You, you just wondered about, you know, some of the, you know, just the things they decided to do. I mean, uh, you know, the okay, so the standard thing you tell your kids in, in a win 
scale like that is, okay, you, if you're punting into the wind, you take that sort of low-line drive like you would on a golf course where you hit that, you don't hit it up into the wind. But, you know, don't you at least have to make sure your kids know that you're hitting a low-line drive that might be a one-bouncer that might get into the return guy's hands really quickly, and you better be alert you know, to the fact that he may be catching it shorter than normal and sooner than normal, quicker than normal on that play, and you better be ready, you know, that he's liable to catch it and be going the other way. And it didn't look like they were even aware of the possibility that the guy's going to catch a one-hopper and be behind, the, you know, the front line of, uh, of, of, you know, cover guys. And Georgia Tech gets the big, you know, 57-yard return uh, where he catches the ball and there's nobody in position to tackle him. Uh, it's just those kinds of, of mistakes that, that just you can't be making them. And, uh, you know, it, it, it seems like USC was. Uh, just the choice to, to kick a field goal, you know, uh, and not be able, you know, not score the first time and, and not, you know, as much as USC was thinking about the win, you know, that was a, that was a tough kick. And uh, they miss it. And again, uh, you know, is that the the right way to be thinking about it? I don't know. But uh, yeah, the special teams didn't didn't help even a little bit uh, uh, most of the year. And uh, it's uh, it was a surprise that that nothing seemed. They, I guess the the thing that that worries you and surprises you the most is that when the going got tough. Uh, those last, you know, six games where you, where they lose five, they had no answers. Nothing they tried worked. Nothing seemed to be what the team needed. Uh, it, it it almost didn't matter what they did. It just didn't work. Uh, well, we have a couple of voicemail questions. I want to play the first one a little bit about uh, Lane Kiffin. I'm sure, I'm sure we got lots of those on the Peristyle, but here's here's one for you, Dan. Hi, this is Julian calling from Pacific Palisades. Um, so my question is, uh, just in the Pac-12 alone, where would we rank Lane Kiffin among the coaches? Seems like he might be the seventh or eighth best coach in the Pac-12. Should uh, USC have the seventh or eighth best head coach in the Pac-12? And... Um, also about recruiting, um, everyone always says what a great recruiter he is, but is it is it really true that Lane Kiffin is a great recruiter? I mean, if the only criterion is the star rating system, um, sure, yeah, he has the the highest rated recruits, obviously. But haven't Jim Harbaugh and Mike Kelly proven that the that great recruiting is really about having a vision for a great system and finding the players to excel in that system? And wouldn't you say that Lane Kiffin's recruiting looks a, a lot like buying lots of fancy decorations for a house that kind of has no foundation? So um, this is probably a question that a lot of other people have been asking. But anyway, I look forward to your answer. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Julian, um, no, you know, I, I can't disagree with you at all on the rankings. Uh, uh, the pac is pretty... Uh, pretty tough place to coach right now uh, in terms of uh, uh, that's one of the conversations we have with Lane in terms of getting a defensive coordinator is that uh, how difficult it can be coming into the pack. And this is why, you know, asking, do you bring somebody in from the outside where they don't have any idea uh, 
what you're going to have to face in the Pac-12. Uh, you know, I thought it was really telling the difference and, and that validates even though the, the ESPN, I think it was David Pollack, the Georgia guy on ESPN, was talking about how difficult it might have been at the time to handicap the uh, uh, the Georgia-Nebraska bowl game because his, he said Georgia, he said they've got a lot of NFL prospects, but they've never faced any quarterback all year. Now, they played 13 games Georgia had. And they were just within seconds of possibly going to the BCS championship game. And yet, as David Pollock said, they haven't played a single athletic uh, run-pass quarterback all year. That's 13 games. You're the, you know, one of the big shots in the SEC, and you haven't had to play. Because they, they you know, got the luck of the draw, didn't have to play Texas A&M with the only guy in the in the you know, SEC, Johnny uh, Manziel, who who fits that bill. And I was thinking, look at USC. They've had to play at least five quarterbacks who fit that bill. You know, if you if you look at uh, uh, the Scott kid at Arizona and Marietta at uh, Oregon and uh, uh, Brett Hundley and Everett Golson at Notre Dame and uh, – uh, the kid, uh, well, I can't think of his name, the kid at uh, Arizona State. But, I mean, you know, the second half of the season, USC has, you know, faced one of those guys after another. And uh, if you're in the Pac-12, you're going to play against uh, some really interesting, challenging, uh, different kinds of, of, of quarterbacks and attacks that you can be in the SEC and you never see. And life is good. And um, kind of the same way in the Big Ten, uh, you know, there might be one or two that you would you would play over a year's time. But in the Pac-12, you're going to see a lot of guys that, that do a lot of things, and you better be ready to. Obviously, you know, USC wasn't, but you better be ready to you know defend against guys like that. So that was one of the, the things about a, a premium on uh, on you know a defensive coordinator who really is comfortable. And defending lots of different, you know, uh, you know, offenses and lots of different ways of using quarterbacks uh, to attack you, and uh, not something that you have to face in, in a lot of other conferences. So, yeah, uh, I think uh, you know your your ranking is, is pretty good as far as the recruiting. I think, to be honest, I think Lane really works at it. I think he's really got a system. I think he really has figured out a way to uh, individualize the uh, uh, programs that uh, they present the parents and the kids. Uh, he's, he's figured out a way to maximize USC's, uh, uh, you know, all the attributes of USC from, you know, the uh, various things like the, the music department that uh, helps them get, you know, a Leon McQuay or um, all the, you know, the locational things and, and what have you. But to be honest, USC recruits for USC. USC used to get players even when they weren't going well at all. Uh, USC, the very fact that no one's put as many players into the NFL and nobody's put as many first-rounders, and you look at all of that, USC, you know, Lane has taken full advantage of it. Uh, but you're right, also, at the other end, is if you, if you stop, uh, you know, developing players and just, you know, go with, okay, we've got all these recruits at one end, 
with high, you know, high star rankings. But if you stop producing players for the NFL at the other end, uh, you know, this year, for example, you really don't have many players you can look at. I mean, they've at least got the one with Marquise Lee and his just tremendous, uh, you know, uh, you know, the first Poletnikov winner and all of that. So they can kind of maybe paper up a little bit, paper over a little bit the, the development uh, of the players this year. But uh, I don't think that can go on for very long. I think you've got to, you know, I think, for example, you look at the offensive line and you just say, you know, you're going from two years in a row of, of the, the best prospect, the number one prospect in the NFL draft, b- both underclassmen, uh, and now you've got an offensive line that just at this point just doesn't have any prospects. Uh, that, you know, we'll, we'll throw Kyle at home just because of health issues and what have you. Uh, is is maybe uh, compromised in terms of, of, of draft status, but uh, uh, you know things have to change. And, that, and not to say that they can't be prospects, but uh, I think you know the productivity and and the development, physically, the toughness, uh, all of that has to has to really change. And that's uh, I think a, a good bit of a product of, of the approach and kind of a a more uh, cerebral NFL type, uh, you know, they're already able to play. We recruited, they were big star prospects when we recruited them. They don't need to be taught uh, other than all the adjustments uh, to the playbook. But, uh, you know, to me it looks like they really need to be worked with physically. They really need to be worked with fundamentally uh, from stances and starts and uh, and then just a general physical approach, a toughness, uh, uh, you know, a hitting uh, approach to the game of football that doesn't seem to be there. And uh, if uh, if they don't pick that up while they're at USC, they aren't going to be there at the other, you know, place that everybody says USC players are supposed to be, and that's the NFL. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, right now uh, there is a disconnect between the recruiting and where these players are ending up after you know, one, two, and three years uh, in the program. No question about it. And I wanted to follow up on that, Dan, too. Um, I mean, we've seen this so often, and I know that most USC fans are not happy with Lane Kiffin. A lot of people want him fired, and I think people kind of get a little bit overboard sometimes with that. I mean, Chip Kelly's only lost, I think, three games in the Pac-12 in his career, and one of them was to Lane Kiffin uh, in Eugene, which is not an easy thing to do. He he did win 10 games last year. This year could have been worse. I mean, it was a debacle, no question. Uh, but there has been some some bright spots during his coaching career as well. And as far as recruiting goes, you can't minimize what he's doing there. It's not just about stars. He's doing things that no one has done. And I think what you have to do is recruit to what the strengths of your program are. And Dan mentioned it about putting guys in the NFL. That's easier to get more five-star guys when you know that's a path to the NFL. I mean, there's six five-star guys, according to Rivals.com, committed now. I mean, that's it's ridiculous. The average star rank is 4.4. This is during everything's Kiffin's done has been during the NCAA sanctions as well. We don't know. No one's had to do this before. We're not really sure how other people would react. We do know that no one's had to go 10 scholarships fewer and win a recruiting title. And he's certainly in, in contention of doing that. Uh, six of those five stars, five of them are from out of state. There's only one in the state of California. So these are not just guys that are going to USC feeder schools that would have ended up at USC anyway. Leon McQuay, the third 
safety from Florida. I mean, when you're getting a, a one of the best players, a, you know, maybe the best free safety in the country out of the state of Florida, that's not just because you're USC. There's there's work going on there. So I don't want to minimize what he's done. Certainly, you have to develop the players. There's there's all there's a lot of aspects to coaching a team. But when people minimize, like, oh, the recruiting, it's just blah blah blah. It's not. I mean, this is different. I mean, every rivals person I talk to. They were just laughing like there's 13 USC commits at this game. And I, we think it's a record um, when Tom Lemming was when doing the selections and he seems to be favoring Notre Dame players. I think Notre Dame might have had 14 one year and a bunch of those guys didn't even end up ever starting. They were just picked because they were Notre Dame commits. But literally every single USC commit is when one of the two major bowl, uh, uh, all-star games, the Under Armour game and the, the Army All-American game. That's never happened before. This is something different. He's taken this these sanctions where you really have to recruit to a smaller number and it's it made a positive out of it where every one of these guys is a high-ranked, high-star guy. Um, now, I'm not saying other coaches couldn't have done it. We just never had to see that before. So don't minimize the recruiting aspect of it because he's really shined there. I mean, he's gone at A-plus as far as what he's doing there. We'll see how the class finishes off, but it looks like it's going to be pretty strong. But I don't, I, I don't like it when people are bashing Kiffin and then decide, well, I'm going to bash everything else he does about it. You do have to give him credit where credit's due. Not that he deserves a lot of credit this year, but one place he deserves credit is on the recruiting side. Well, I, I do think the number thing is, is kind of amazing in every way you look at it. But I, I also think in trying to look at psychoanalyze this last season, I do think uh, from the very beginning, I think, uh, Lane is one of these guys who does really, you know, focus on all the kinds of numbers, things that you can you can correct or you can control and all of that. And he's done a marvelous job in terms of, you know, when you look at the percentage of, I mean, the the the, the number of scholarships they have and and where they're going, it's just absolutely unbelievable. The problem I thought came in. When and it was revealed in that whole kerfuffle uh, over Lane's first vote uh, in the coaches poll, when it turns out that he was so uh, thrown off by the fact that they were going to go into the season with ten fewer scholarships and be ranked number one, I think more than anything else, you know that really set the stage for all of the mistakes that happened in terms of approaching this season, that Lane was just really, really uh, uh, unable to handle that double kind of whammy of your pick number one, you got 10 fewer scholarships. And that was in his mind. He talked about it. It was what he tried to kind of get around in the, uh, in his first vote when he sort of said, you know, I wouldn't vote for us and didn't tell you he did vote for us uh, and, and, and that kind of a thing. And I think in recruiting, you can deal with those kinds of things and you can overcome them on the field, uh, practice to, to game. It's not the same game. You're playing a different game. And Lane is really good at the game where you've got control in terms of how you deal with those kids recruiting them and how you put together you know, individualized plans for them and how you, you know, uh, promote USC strengths and all of that. Uh, now, if he could figure out a way to do the same thing in terms of on the field, practice and game plans and, and, 
and uh, game management and all of that. Uh, that that's a whole different ball game. And, uh, you know, what he does so well in one area doesn't necessarily translate to the next area. And uh, that's the, you know, that's the key. It's, for example, it's very similar to practicing well and playing badly at El Paso, where's the disconnect? Same thing between recruiting really well and then developing and, and, and you know, the, the, those same players and getting them on the field. And, and you know, and, and it happens, obviously, with, say, with a Leonard Williams. It, it certainly happened. Uh, but then uh, you look at a Max Wittick, fairly young, young guy who has a week to get ready for Notre Dame and really acquitted himself pretty decently. Then he gets a month of, of development and coaching, and look what happened at the Sun Bowl. So, you know, that's an area that really has to be figured out. You know, Lane, Lane really needs to come up with some answers the way he's come up with answers on the recruiting part of it. Um, let's go. We, we had a question from Justin about Jabari Ruffin. Uh, he said, do you think Jabari Ruffin will be one of the starting linebackers, but will, will win one of the starting linebacker spots next year? Uh, I don't think so. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, right now he's not a linebacker. He's a, he's a very lean looking defensive end. Uh, I'm not sure where he goes. Uh, I, I think that's really to be determined. Uh, uh, I think this winter, you know, will will, you know, uh, determine a lot about Jabari, but but no, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, he hasn't played much linebacker recently, so uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. Uh, you know, they've really been trying to get him up on the line of scrimmage and uh, and work with him on. Uh, he might be. You know, they may. You know, obviously, without the defense coordinator, we don't know. He might be one of those stand-up. You know, the elephant type. Uh, you know Clay Matthews uh, guys. He's got the you know kind of physique, uh, maybe uh, you know to be that guy if, if he still has to put on some you know some weight. But uh, but but I think it's completely to be determined uh, where Jabari ends up. All right, Dan. Well, where does this where does everything go from here? Um, what are your thoughts on <laughs> what the off season will hold? I mean, last off season. It seems like every off season there's so much and st- stuff going on, but. Uh, when we're going to find about defensive coordinator, what, what's going to go on from here for you? I don't know. Fans? I know. I know. Lane really told us. I asked. We actually talked a, a, a decent amount about it. it. It certainly seemed like he hadn't spent much time dealing with it before the ball game. I mean, he he certainly gave you that impression. Talking to some of the assistant coaches, I got the sense they didn't feel like that they had much insight into where that was going or how it was going or who it was going toward. Uh, so, you know, I know people say, oh, they, you know, he's got his guy and he knows what's going on and all that. I, I, I didn't think so. It doesn't look like it. Uh, you know, I mean, there are some issues. If you're coming to USC, you got to get, obviously, a multi, multi-year contract. If USC gets the kind of guy they want, uh, and that they need, and that you know, we hear you know from maybe kids more than anything that you know it's going to be somebody that everybody's going to say, "Wow, that's a good hire." Uh, that guy's going to be looking, and he he knows that you know Lane isn't necessarily locked in for the long term uh, based on last year. 
So obviously the guy would want a multi, you know, multi-year contract, and I, I don't think that would be, uh, you know, not possible. Obviously that'll happen, and uh, and the money is certainly there, you know, with uh, you know just with Monty himself, uh, you know, with that salary available. Uh, so uh, you know you would think they could approach almost anybody, but the question is, do they want to take a flyer and maybe think, you know? Gee, this may be a year. I mean, and I know some people have said, well, heck, if a guy does a good enough job, maybe he's got a shot at the, you know, whatever happens down the road. Uh, but I don't think, you know, I mean, obviously Pat Narduzzi has an awful lot, you know, going for him. I mean, I probably would list him as the number one defensive. I know everybody talks about, you know, Kirby Smart at Alabama, but I, I – I would probably list him as the number one, you know, defensive coordinator in the country uh, as far as I was concerned. And so you're in the right ballpark when you're talking to him. I know, you know, you like, how could you not like, uh, you know, Mark Banker at Oregon State with what he's done with, with his talent level? And, and, and Pendergrass at Cal, you know, again, guys that have had success in the Pac 12 and he's available and, uh, you know, I, I think the opportunity to upgrade there, you know, is is clearly, uh, you know, available to USC. Uh, how that all, you know, how that all plays in. I mean, I'm I'm kind of with the uh, the camp though that says, uh, as bad as the defense was against Oregon, that it was more of an offensive failure uh, for the year that that let USC down. That that you know. That it was those 20 minutes of total unproductivity at uh, Arizona that gave that game away. Even though, as Monty was asking the other day, he said, "How many points did we give up?" Yeah, yeah, Monty, you gave up too many uh, against Arizona. But uh, but USC should not have, you know, uh, had that big of a blank spot in that game. Obviously, the Stanford game was lost on offense. You know, the defense had three bad plays. Uh, never should have lost the Stanford game. That changes the whole season. Uh, you know, they, uh, you know, Notre Dame, obviously they're, you know, going with Wittick, but, uh, you know, Notre Dame was within reach. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. And UCLA, um, you know, the offense basically gave up the points that UCLA scored, not the defense. And then the offense didn't uh, score on its own. So it, it seems to me, that the decisions that they have to make on the offensive side, how are they going to keep, are, you know, is Lane going to keep calling the plays? Are they still going to, you know, slow the game down so that they run the fewest plays in the Pac-12? Is that going to be part of the deal that goes along with sanctions and, you know, and 75 scholarships that, you know, we're going to try to manage the roster and, and avoid injuries? Uh, how do they practice going forward? You know, they're going to start practicing full speed, you know, fast pace, tempo, game tempo, um, you know, the way they did with Pete, or are they going to practice like a, you know, an old NFL team? Uh, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's answers, but, uh, you know, Lane has said, we're going to evaluate everything. The question I've got is, you know, can you evaluate an offensive system that's predicated on, you know, the, as our guys on the P call it, the Denny's menu and the 135 plays and all the, you know, nuances of, you know, uh, a very complex, uh, you know, playbook with all sorts of, 
you know, adjustments in, in terms of blocking schemes and all the things you have to know to play, you know, as a young guy. And uh, a system that obviously produced a, a ton of screw-ups. I mean, you know, the 34 uh, turnovers, the uh, uh, the number of penalties until the very last couple of games, uh, even at the Sun Bowl where guys had no idea where to line up and you're having to, you know, uh, point guys and say, no, 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 not there. You're supposed to go over here and kind of all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the coach running down the sideline trying to change the play and all of that. That just has to stop. And uh, how do they go about, you know, changing that? You know, do they go back and, and say, you know what, we really like the way we did with Clay Helton calling the plays and Kennedy Palomalu in the huddle and practice and, you know, the way it was shared between all the all the uh, offensive coaches, for example, and that seemed to be more productive. And we got more done in practice, got more plays run, and we weren't standing around and, and trying to, you know, really adjust to the, you know, the NFL-style playbook. Uh, that would be great. I'd like to see them do that. I'd like to see them figure out how to do that and how do they – you know, is Lane defensive about this is the way I do it, this is the way I'm always going to do it, what else would I do? And I'll, I, I don't know how that, how that changes. Uh, he has said he would look at it, but, you know, when push came to shove for the Sun Bowl, he, whatever had happened those previous couple of weeks in practice uh, had seemed to go, you know, go out the window. That, that was no factor whatsoever. The Sun Bowl was the same old, same old. So, uh, so we'll see. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I don't know. I don't know who Lane listens to. I don't know that um, in terms of on his own staff, outside, um, who you know who is who can get through to Lane. I mean, it, it's obvious that you know that somebody got through to him on, you know, and it may have been Monty himself on defense that said this isn't working, but. Really, a case can be made that the offense worked less well than the defense this year. Uh, and is that going to go forward uh, without any significantly uh, you know, different changes or personnel? And if that's the case, uh, we'll see. But it doesn't – that – you know, the way the offense went together this year was really a disaster. I mean, you know – Cutting down the plays, I mean, so that, say, for example, you look at Arizona, they ran 90-some plays a game, and USC ran 60-some. Well, no wonder they didn't have enough, you know, opportunities to throw the ball to Robert. You know, when you run that few plays, there just aren't that many opportunities for anybody. Uh, and, and I'm not sure kids come to USC to run an offense that doesn't have many opportunities for more than, say, one player. You know, that's that's not the way to go. So, so I, I wish I had an answer. <laughs> I might have an answer, but they're not going to let me <laughs> give them the answer. Uh, they got to come up with that answer. And uh, we do try to respond to what we think is working and what we think looks good and what we see, what it seems to be something that the players and or assistant coaches are reacting really well to. But in the end, Lane's going to make that call. And uh, we'll see. All right, Dan. Well, we really appreciate the uh, time, and uh, glad we got to back have you back on. I know we I was out of town; it was hard to do stuff over over the phone lines and stuff. So I'm glad we got to get you back and get your thoughts. Maybe not bad to have a week off to, to 
to hear what. No, no. I was, you guys had so much going on. It was uh, it was hard to even keep up with reading all the uh, and 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 listening to all the all the stuff going on. But again, like you say, no one's ever had that many players to deal with at one of those All Star games. That that players that really mattered. So you guys had had an awful lot to do yeah. last week, to say the least. Uh, and it was probably good good to take a week off after the uh, Sun Bowl. I think that was probably uh, yeah. Not no, a bad thing. Uh, immediate reactions to the Sun Bowl were, uh, it was very interesting coming home from El Paso on that night after that game and a, you know, a direct flight El Paso to LAX uh, filled with USC people. It was a very quiet flight uh, coming back from El Paso. It was like, the, I don't know, like a, a lifeboat you know, with a, a long way from, uh, from the shore. People were just, you know, looking at one another like, what the heck happened? <laughs> and, and especially when there's a lot of parents on the plane, they really are, they're so invested in the program and, and it's like just shaking your, all you, all you saw were people shaking their heads like, what the heck did that, what was that? And no one had a very good answer for, for what it was. Certainly, yeah, that would have been a very interesting flight, to say the least. But thanks again, Dan. We appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Very good. Enjoy it, Ryan. Thank you. All right, and everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back. We'll do a, a recruiting blast this week with Gerard Martinez and then back with our regular show on Monday. Stay tuned for all of that. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 